going to come round to consider the word of the Lord to us tonight and um, then maybe just finish with a time of short time of prayer and ministry. If you've got your Bibles, can you turn to Acts chapter 4? Acts chapter 4, and I just want to read the first part of verse 8. It's a very simple verse of Scripture, but I believe very powerful and very prophetic for us tonight. Acts chapter 4 and verse 8. And um, this is, the context is that the Apostle Peter is standing before the religious council who are in opposition to the spread of the gospel. How many at this time in your life are sensing different types of opposition? And it's not normal levels of opposition. It's abnormal. The spirit of the age is intensifying. The spirit of antichrist. The satanic spirit that would seek to oppose God's work in this world. And you know, when we stand up and we want to be used by God, we have to understand that we will need to break through resistance. Amen? Amen. You know, in the book of... Satan isn't mentioned much directly, particularly in the Old Testament. He's not mentioned many times directly. But there's one book where he is mentioned very clearly, and it's in the book of uh, Zechariah. And it says there that Satan stood to oppose the high priest. And that is Satan's job. He is the adversary. He is the opponent. He is the accuser of the brethren. And whenever his spirit is at work, what it's seeking to do is to oppose the spirit of God. What it's seeking to do is to oppose the work of God in our life. And so whether we realise it or not, the moment we became Christians, we entered into a battle. We entered into a warfare as soldiers of Jesus Christ. And so tonight I believe God is drawing our attention to the fact that there is only one major uh, weapon, one major arsenal, and it has many expressions, but without it, everything is useless. But with it, all things are possible. And that one thing is the power and presence and anointing of the Holy Spirit. You may say, well, it's prayer. You may say, well, it's preaching. You may say, well, it's spiritual warfare. And I agree with all of that. But unless all of those things are saturated in the presence and power of God, they are ineffective. <coughs> How many of you noticed one time you may be witnessing to someone and there seems to be no impact whatsoever? You're telling them the gospel. You're telling them that Jesus died for them. You're telling them Jesus rose again for them and he wants to forgive them. And there is, you know, dead as a dodo. There's no response. And then the next day you're talking to somebody else, you're saying exactly the same thing. And, they, and then there is a, a presence. Are you following me? There is a saturation of the presence of God. That's the anointing making the gospel effective. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no effectiveness. People say... Why was the early church so effective? How was it that the early church could impact their generation so powerfully, so much so that within a number of centuries, um, the influence of Christianity had permeated the then known world? 
And it wasn't their buildings, because they didn't have any. It wasn't their education. Remember it says they were unlearned men in Acts, but it says they took note they'd been with Jesus. It was what's written here in Acts chapter 4. Oh, we went to Zechariah. Very good, Paul. Let's go back to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. I just want you to meditate and reflect on this verse here. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. What that verse makes clear, when you, particularly you look at it, in, it comes out in the English, but even more so in the original, it's saying that at that very uh, second, at that very moment, the Holy Spirit filled Peter. Now that was Acts chapter 4, verse 8. You remember just two chapters earlier in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit had come down in the upper room on the 120 disciples. Peter was amongst them and he was baptised or filled with the Holy Spirit that day as well. And he went outside and preached the gospel. And through, it says that the, the, the multitude who heard the word were cut to the heart, literally, like a knife. The sword of the Spirit, the word of God, the gospel going out. But notice how in Acts chapter 4, this same Peter who was filled in Acts chapter 2, this same apostle was filled again in Acts chapter 4. He didn't rely on the experience and on the empowering of even what came a matter of weeks earlier. He knew that it was the anointing that makes the difference. The anointing is the presence and the power of God. And when it says filled with the Spirit, it means Filled at that very moment. And so my answer to the question, why was the early church so, why were they able to have such an impact on that generation and in any generation is when a church, when a believer, when a community is filled with the Holy Spirit, they have an impact. Because there's an overflow, okay? You know, we, we, we talk about revival. What is revival? You know, revival is when the church gets saturated and impregnated and, and overflowing with the presence and the power of God. And so there is a personal revival that I need and that you need. And there is a corporate revival that we need. But when the presence of God and when the Holy Spirit is filling the entire church, then there is an impact on those outside. We, without realising it, if we're honest, have come to rely on many things to make us effective and we have lost the absolute desperation and need for a complete abandonment to the Holy Spirit's power in our age. Bigger buildings, as good as they are, greater music, greater preaching by itself, greater intellect, all of those things, nothing bad in them in themselves, but none of those things are going to transform the United Kingdom. The only thing that's going to transform the United Kingdom is a church saturated with God. If it was dependent on our abilities, 
Okay, we could have probably saved the world a long time ago. We've had so many strategies. And I'm, you know, I'm not against strategies. I'm not against methods. I'm not against good administration. I'm not against having good buildings and having good worship and all of those things. But take all of that away and add the presence of God and that's all you need. But if God can add his presence to those things, then that's all that's necessary. And so I'm thinking in, in terms tonight of an encouragement towards not just the work of the Holy Spirit within us, which we've all experienced if we know the Lord, but the way that the Holy Spirit wants to break out through us into the world. Um, you know, Jesus said in John 7, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And John made it clear in his gospel that he was speaking concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. And that because of the glorification of Jesus at the right hand of the Father, he was able to pour out um, that Spirit upon us. So I'm thinking more of the way that the Holy Spirit and the anointing of God externally flows and manifests out of our lives. Because that is the need of the hour. There's a role of the Spirit in our relationship with Christ and in our personal relationship with God and in the fellowship he brings and in the guidance he brings to our life and in the wisdom he imparts to us and, you know, the, the leading of the Spirit. But how do we cross that bridge from something that is like kind of locked up within us to something that breaks out into the world? Jesus made it clear in Acts 1 verse 8. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That word uh, power is the word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. But how many of you know dynamite don't work unless you light it? If I've got a grenade and I throw it, but I don't pull the pin out, there's not going to be any explosion. And sometimes what we're doing is we're saying, hey, well, look at all our dynamite. Look at all our grenades. Look at all the things we believe in. We're having conferences about it and seminars about it and we're writing books about it and we wear T-shirts about it but we don't do it. It's like the army in um, David's day. Remember when David went down and every day the army was presenting itself. There was the Philistines here and there was the people of God here and no one had the courage to, to take the pin out of the grenade. No one had the courage to leave the comfort of the assembly and go and face the giant. And when David arrived... They said, have you come to see the battle? What battle? There was no battle going on. And this is what goes on in our church. So many times our worship songs sing about it. We're going to go and deal with Goliath. Go and deal with Goliath. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Jesus, I believe in you. I'll go to the ends of the earth. Ends of the earth. Most of us don't cross the road, let alone into the earth. You know, Christians don't tell lies. They sing them. <laughs> we don't tell lies, we sing them. Have you seen some of those words? <clears throat> and so it takes someone to step out of the comfort zone. We need to be like famous gypsy evangelist who said, who one day he stood in, in his room, in his prayer room, and he drew a circle around himself. And he said, God, let revival begin in this circle. God's always worked that way. His methods are men and women. He says to Abraham, I'll bless you, and through you every nation on the earth will be blessed. And so, 
just as in the Old Testament when they were talking about the battle, there was no battle. And my, my fear is we've become uh, very, very comfortable, yeah? Very settled. And we need to be pushed outside of our nests. We need to be pushed outside of our boats. Because God moves when you move. Smith Wigglesworth, the great revivalist, the great healing evangelist, he said, I'm not looking for a move of God. He said, I am a move of God. Now, I'm not saying we should be presumptuous. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am saying is that I think we don't realise how much God has entrusted to us and how much we have a responsibility to be stewards, facilitators, activators, manifestors of the power of God in our society. You have to put yourself out there. There are times in my life where I know I've done that. And there are times in my life when I'm not doing that. And I don't feel good about it. I don't feel good about hiding the light under the bushel. I don't feel good about the gifts of God going dormant because Paul says, stir up the gift of God which is in you. You see, through the laying on of my hands, he says, well, you stir it up. You say, well, God's got to do it. Yes, he has. But there's a partnership going on here. He says you've got to cooperate. Otherwise, how can Paul say in Ephesians, how can he command us to be filled? He commands us to be filled. So if God commands us to be filled, I'm going to stand there and wait to be filled till I'm filled because it's command. He's got to do the supply. I've just got to be open to the supply. And so we could talk about faith, the way faith is pulling the pin in a way it is. You know, I remember a number of years back, a famous time I always remember where I stood, I stood out in a very public way for God and I saw God move in a mighty way. But it doesn't always have to be in public. Sometimes it's just in those intimate situations when you're talking to someone on the street, in a coffee shop, at work. But I remember this because I was, um, I was delivering a, a leadership um, message at a, a professional business group in Manchester. It's called the Professional Speakers Association. And a guy came up to me at the end of the, the talk, and it wasn't a, a preach. I wasn't preaching the Bible, but, you know, I'll get the biblical stuff in there somehow. <laughs> Squeeze it in. And the guy came up to me and says, um, you know, I enjoyed your talk. He said, um, it felt very dynamic. It felt very spiritual. He said, uh, he says, I, I actually lead a group of, uh, of, of, spiritu- of, of spiritual groups, he says, around... Manchester and Liverpool, would you come and speak to them? I said, tell me about your groups. Well, his groups were basically uh, new age and occult practitioners. Not in the, you know, the extreme sense of, 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 of black magic or witchcraft, but, you know, Reiki healers, tarot card, that kind of stuff, you know? And um, I says, I'll come to your group on one condition. He says, what's that? He says, that I have the opportunity when I come to preach the Christian message. That's what I'll be bringing. And he said, that's fine. No problem. So here's the open invitation to come. And the first event was set up in a monastery of all places uh, in Manchester, Galton Monastery. And when I got there, the place was, it wasn't that there were a lot of people. The room was quite small, but it was packed out. There was maybe 
I don't know, 60, 70 of people there. And I preached the gospel to all of them, but then when I finished preaching the gospel, I said, now, if what I'm saying is true and Jesus is alive, miracles and healings will be taking place right now. I said, and if what I haven't said is true, then ignore everything I've told you tonight. Because if Jesus is alive, he's going to do the business tonight. Now, his honour becomes at stake now. I've obeyed his word. I've gone into that. And you know, the Holy Spirit broke out in that place. People being touched and healed. Prophetic revelation being breaking out. People getting delivered. There were people coming forward saying, I feel like something's leaving me. I don't understand what's happening. I knew what was happening. The kingdom of God was coming and the enemy was being driven out. Amen? And the point is that I didn't wait for God to do it. I stepped out. And at that point, it's my honour my honor is no longer at stake. His honour is at stake. You see, Elijah stood on Mount Carmel. And he didn't wait to send some anointing. He built that altar. Can you imagine if the fire hadn't come? He said, the God who answers by fire, he is God. And we need those kinds of people back in the church today. We need the manifestors and the demonstrators. Paul, with all his intellect, one of the greatest minds the world has ever seen, still said to the Corinthians, when I came to you, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He says, my preaching was not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. He said to the church at Rome, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, I will not boast, I will not dare to speak of what Christ has accomplished through me. In signs and wonders, by the power of God, by the mighty spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem to Illyricum, which is modern day Albania, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. To the church of Thessalonica, they said, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in deep conviction. God has appointed in the church miracles, it says in 1 Corinthians 12. Listen to those people that say it all passed away in the first century. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. He's not bound up. He's not shut up. What he had power to do yesterday, he has power to do today. Greater works, he said, than these you will do because I go to the Father. But God is looking for the, those who step out. I found that with, with, the, with the Holy Spirit... And this might be oversimplistic, and I'm not trying to put God in a box because God can do whatever he wants to do. But you know, there's usually two ways it works. Sometimes, as in the case of Peter, or in the case of the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon you first in a perceivable way, in a tangible way. And out of that anointing, you do something. You speak, you preach, you pray for the sick. You cast out a demon. You show love to someone, okay? Sometimes it happens like that. There is a clear prerequisite tangibility of the manifestation of God. But sometimes there isn't. Sometimes he's waiting for us to take the first step. See, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, to, uh, let me come. Can I come out? If it's you, call me so I'll come out on the water. I don't believe that Peter at that point was experiencing anything. 
He just wanted to walk on the water like Jesus. And as he stepped out of the boat, the empowering came. The supernatural came to do what God had called him to do. And when he forgot about the fact that it was God doing it and started to look at himself, that's when he started to sink. And the principle is the same. Moses stood at the Red Sea and when the Egyptians were pressing on them to the point that they thought we're just going to, you know, rock in a hard place. We can't go forward. We can't go back. There's no way out. We're stuck. And God had to say to Moses, stop crying out to me. God told Moses to stop praying. And he said, stretch out your hand. And as Moses stretched out his hand, the Red Sea split. Sometimes God expects us to move before he moves. And sometimes God moves and then we move. But however way he wants to do it, let us put ourselves in the position where God will move. Think about the gifts of the Spirit at a practical level. Tools, supernatural enablings. And natural gifts that are supernaturally enabled to do the work of God in our generation. Those gifts work in cooperation with God, in partnership with God. Did you know that the Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues? You speak in tongues. They spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You've seen that. The Spirit gave the enabling and they spoke. The working of miracles. We want the miracles, but we don't like the working part. You shall lay hands on the sick. There's your part. And they shall recover. There's God's part. In my name, you shall rebuke devils, demons to come out. Who, who does the, the deliverance? You proclaim it. Jesus backs you up. So once I have put myself in the place where without him I will fail, where without him I will fall, then it's over to the captain. I am a vessel. I am a partner. I do what I can do. And he does what he alone can do. But what's the danger when the Christian church closes ourselves away from the world and prays and prays and prays but never does anything with the things they've prayed about. I used to work with a colleague of mine, a very powerful man of the miraculous and he used to say that we need to put legs on our prayers. Yeah? Don't get me wrong, sometimes you know there's things you pray about and it's over to God and that's it. But you know, a lot of the things we pray about, when we get up, we can do something about it. We pray, Lord, give us today our daily bread. Does that mean that we just wait for the bread to turn up? Or are we practical? Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, says it was moved with compassion because he saw him a sheep without a shepherd. And he said to the disciples in Matthew 9, 38, 
The harvest truly is plentiful, but the labourers are few. I want you to have a prayer meeting to pray that God will send out labourers into his harvest. So I imagine the disciples all huddled together. Yes, we pray for labourers into the harvest. That's Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus taps them on the shoulder and sends them out. So in one verse, they're praying for the labourers to go out. And in the next, he's tapping them and saying, I send you out, Matthew 10, 1, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to preach the gospel, to cast out demons, to proclaim that the kingdom of God is tangible. The kingdom of God is at hand. And if that dynamic is missing from 21st century Christianity, whatever you want to call it, it's not the Christianity of the New Testament. It is a dead, powerless religion. And we might as well just shut things up, go home, go to sleep, and hope that God takes us into eternity because we will not be useful on this earth to him. That is the need of the hour. A church saturated and filled with the Holy Spirit. Strategies, methods, secondary. God, primary. And if you choose to step out in that realm, yes, I'll be honest, you'll fall on your face sometimes. Just like Peter fell when he was walking on the water and suddenly realised. I think the light's gone off, amen? The back there or something. I walked on the water once, you know that. There's only three people in history who have ever walked on water. Jesus, Peter and me. I was preaching in Scandinavia and all the lakes were frozen. <laughs> I was walking on the water. <laughs> Faith is a fact, but faith is an act. So I challenge each of us not to stay in your comfort zone. Not to wait for God to do it. Step out in whatever way God leads you. Put God to the test. Put God to the test. Put God at his word. Take the burden off yourself. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. It's a shame, you know, that so much of our theological establishments and education, it's all about the knowledge of the person, but not about the power of God. I'm not against theology. I got a master's degree in theology. I studied it for years. I still study it. I love it. But without the power, it's a waste of time. And so... Thinking back to that verse we started with, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. When was he filled? Right at that moment. And my prayer tonight is that we will be filled. Right now. And it won't just be a filling where we have a nice oochie coochie experience, you know? I mean, I'm, it's great that we can have joy in church and, you know, falling down and laughing and all that stuff. I mean, but you know, if you fall down with an empty head, you're probably going to get up with one anyway. You've got to give God something to work with, Yeah. And so, yes, we want to be encouraged. You know, we want to have our, our charismatic parties and all that. And, and okay, fine. God loves us. He wants all that. But I'm talking about the mission today. And so the test isn't what happens here. It's what happens when here ends and we go out into a world desperate for God, whether they realize it or not. No answer. No hope. No life. And we're called to be stewards of the story of the greatest message ever told. And the story is no fairy tale. The story is more real than the breath we breathe. 
I am the way, Jesus said, the truth and the life. Amen. Let's stand and pray.